Petrangelo and Eichel play catch out high. Right wing shot, save, rebound, score! Stevenson, power play goals in consecutive games. Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Pass goes to Marcia Silk, behind and for Eichel. The left sidewall, up top Petrangelo, to the right, Theodore shoots, he scores! 41 seconds to go. Theodore scores his second of the period. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at LBSportsNetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Hour number two rolling along here on a Tuesday. It's the VGK Insider Show. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman along with you. Darren Millard in the air. We'll be back on the program tomorrow. The Vegas Golden Knights open up training camp tomorrow, be on the ice on Thursday, and preseason games start as early as Sunday. So I'm telling you, it's right around the corner. And when the season is in as close as it is to us, you know we're going to reach out to our good friend Jesse Granger with The Athletic to come on the program. First time this season. Hey, Jesse, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you, Ryan? Uh, you know, I'm doing well. Obviously, we're we're getting closer and closer and closer to actual live games in front of our eyeballs. It has been a long summer. Uh, let's start there. What what did you do over the course of the the longest summer in your professional career? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely longer than we're used to covering this team. Um, I, you know, what I relaxed, uh, played some golf, <laughs> uh, played quite a bit of hockey, more hockey than I've ever played. Um, and, and I'm ready for hockey to be back. I was out at the golf tournament yesterday and obviously far cry from hockey, but just being around the players, seeing them in person for the first time in months, uh, it was good. And, and I'm itching to uh, see these guys on the ice on Thursday. You know, one of the, one of the big aspects for me going into this season is the accessibility that we're going to have now in the media. We're, we're going to be back in the locker rooms. We're going to be back in scrums the ability to be around the players in that setting versus what it's been like for the last two and a half seasons. How excited are you for that change? Very excited. Um, we get to talk to them like people. I say this all the time. It's I feel like mm-hmm. a press conference is not having a conversation with someone like a real human being. Um, I like to just kind of walk up to guys who don't have a bunch of cameras around them and just talk. And, and <laughs> we're not not directly trying to get quotes recording every word out of their mouth, trying to like put it on TV. It's, I'd like to just have conversations with these guys so that we get that. Um, we also get, I think, one of the maybe like undervalued things, one of the things I didn't realize that we get with locker room access that, that I didn't realize until we didn't have it these last couple of years is you get a feel for the room after games. Um, by the time they've come to the press conference, they're kind of sitting up at the table. They've composed themselves they, they're basically the same every game, whereas when you're going in the locker room, you really get a feel after big wins, after big losses. You get a feel for the importance of these games, the meaningfulness of these games, and I think that's something that I've really missed over the last couple of years that I'm excited to uh, kind of get back to this year. Yeah, there's there's added nuance just being in the room. Even if you don't ask a question, even if you're not you know, in, in the middle of a scrum, in just kind of assessing what the mood is, what the vibe is, yep. you learn a lot more from a team when you're able to be in their element. And yep. I think the, the the biggest issue or 
you know, the, the biggest detriment to to just what we've had to kind of deal with through COVID with with the the press conferences and podiums is that you don't get to meet the players in their element. And that's something that I'm really excited about coming into this next season. Yeah, for sure. It's I mean, it's totally different. Like you said, they're not just the things they say and the way they say them, but yeah. just guys walking around the locker room after a big win. They're, it's exciting. The guys are they're joking with each other. They're coming up behind the guy who's getting interviewed and messing with him. You know what I mean? Just small little things <laughs> yeah. that yeah. Um, you, you really get a feel for how the players are feeling after games when, when you go in there and you talk to them like people rather than them sitting up there at a mic and, and answering a couple questions. So let's get to one of the biggest orders of business. Uh, we're going to start here and really hone in on the Golden Knights, but as we get kind of further along in this, I, I want to ask you about some of the bigger news stories of the day. So it, just have your hot take meter ready to go. That's all I'm going to tell you. Um, Nick Hague, uh, obviously uh, we're, we're getting into the 11th hour to get this deal done prior to training camp. What are your expectations for Nick Hague and the, the, the idea that he, he will get to training camp without signing a contract? Yeah, I mean, if he doesn't sign a contract, he won't be on the ice. Um, that much yeah. we do know. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to get the deal done at the 11th hour. Um, it doesn't sound, from what I've heard, like it's particularly close. But as we see with the trade deadline and as we see with other deadlines when it comes to signing guys, um, deadlines force your hand. Um, maybe something that you weren't willing to, to sign prior to the deadline, you suddenly – as that clock gets closer and closer to midnight, you, you want to do it. Same with the trade that maybe you've been talking to a team for five months and you just couldn't get a trade done, and then suddenly, magically, with an hour left before the deadline, you both agree to something. Um, so I'm hesitant to say that he's going to not be on the ice. Um, just I, Right now, it doesn't sound like there's a deal that's close, but these things happen this way, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do get a deal done at the last minute. Um, in terms of what it means, I mean, he needs to be on the ice. Um, this is a yeah. defenseman who really took a big step in his development last year. He did have some injuries, like pretty much everyone on the team, but he was playing number one minutes alongside Alex Petrangelo on that top pairing, and he did it well. Um, I wouldn't say he was great up there, but considering his experience and where he is in his development, I thought I was impressed with how Nick Haig handled that. Um, now he's coming to a totally different system, and, and from everything, I, I sat down with Bruce Cassidy, uh, a couple weeks ago, and from everything I can glean, this system is going to be complex. It's going to be more complicated than any defensive system the Golden Knights have run. They've mostly run man-to-man defenses, which don't take a lot of communication. Obviously, you're still talking to each other, but you, it's your guy. You're following him around the ice, whereas now they're going to a layered zone concept where you guard areas of the ice, and that means that when a player skates through your area and into another area, you're having to communicate with the other guy. Communication is going to be paramount. Um, to have a young defenseman in Nick Hague who's still breaking into this league while learning a new system, to have him not on the ice, I mean, there's three practices before the first preseason game. To have him not on yeah. the ice for any days of practice is not good. So that's kind of the the main idea that I wanted to explore when it comes to Nick Hague is at what point, like let's just assume the deal doesn't get done prior to training camp. How much time can really elapse before the player has to kind of up the urgency to get this thing done? Yeah, that's a great question for Nick Hague. Um, it's, I, <laughs> you know what? I don't know what the offers on the table are. If you're talking the difference of a couple hundred thousand dollars, and again, this is mm-hmm. easy for me to say, it's not my money. 
Um, I think you're the player you say, you know what, let's just take the deal. I, it, it is important for me in my career and the path that my career is on to get on the ice and, and be playing optimally when this season starts. Um, but we don't know how close the sides are. If the, if the gap is huge, you can't just expect Nick Hague to play for a ridiculously low amount. I don't think he's asking for a huge raise. I think he's asking for a raise from his ELC, um, a reasonable one like the one you saw Nick Waugh get. And I, I, like I said, I have a hard time saying the player should just capitulate, um, to use a Bill Foley word, and just take the, the contract that's offered to him just so he can get on the ice when he feels his value is higher. I mean, he did play top pair minutes, like I said, last year. He's one of the better young players in this. I mean, this, this is a team that has struggled to develop its, its young players, um, partially because they've traded them for stars. But also, Nick Hague's really the only one that you can say has developed from a draft pick into a legitimate top four, top six player. Um, so I see why he wants to get paid. Now I'm going to give you a few a few names here, and it's actually going to be a two part question: uh, Leighton Ahak, Caden Korzak, Daniil Marimanov, or Ben Hutton. Hypothetically, if Nick Hague is not on the ice opening night, which of those four players is the guy who's going to fill his spot? And are they automatically going to be playing with Braden McNabb because we know how well of a communicator he is, and in a complex system, it seems like. The young guy automatically is going to play with the guy who's who's noted as being the best communicator on the on the blue line. Yeah, I mean, for, I'll start with that's a great point with Braden McNabb. Um, not only is Braden McNabb the guy who's one of the best communicators, and he's been great with these young players, he's also played Stevens' system before. So this isn't just Bruce yeah. Cassidy's system. He brought Stevens in from L.A., and both McNabb and Martinez have played yeah. under Stevens before. I think they're going to be a big part of helping the rest of these defensemen learn the system. So, yes, I think you're 100% right. McNabb is the guy that can help someone. In terms of who it is, probably Ben Hutton. Um, I mean, you, Cassidy likes veteran players. Um, as I said, the system is probably one of the more complex defensive systems. I think a guy who's played as many NHL games as Ben Hutton has probably has a leg up on someone like Korzak or, or Ahak or Miramanoff. After Hutton, I would say I'm excited to see Caden Korzak in preseason and, and with this big club because he was so good at development camp. Like, doesn't belong on the ice with the rest of these players because um, he's so good. I need to see that with players as, of, of NHL caliber, not just 18, 19-year-olds, um, before I can say it. But, man, he looks like he's ready to take that step. And they go from a coach in Pete DeBoer who – likes offensive defensemen. He obviously Brett Burns and Eric Carlson in San Jose. He comes in, Shea Theodore had some of his best seasons under him, Alex Petrangelo. Bruce Cassidy's not that at all. He likes defensive defensemen. Um, Charlie McAvoy was their most offensive defenseman in Boston, and he's nothing like Theodore or Petrangelo. He's more of a defense-first guy who can also pitch in. So I think that maybe Cassidy leans more towards a Korzak um, opposed to a Miramanov, whereas DeBoer liked Miramanov a little more, I think you might see Cassidy going towards the, the, the stay-at-home defenseman, and that's what Caden Korzak is. He, I remember when they drafted him, we asked him who he wants to be. He said, I want to be a stay-at-home defenseman, lockdown guy, take care of my end. I can play the hardest minutes. That's what he wants to be. So um, I'm excited to see Korzak in preseason. He's one of the guys I'm most going to be focused on this week to see where he's at in his development because I really do think he's ready, and it wouldn't surprise me if he's a full-time NHL player by the end of this season. Yeah, that's an interesting point on on 
you know, Caden Korzak and, and really an interesting point on the, the complexity within the system and, and what Bruce Cassidy is going to be looking for. But, you know, you, you can make the argument that a younger player might be easier to mold than, you know, say someone like Ben Hutton, who's been around a long time, who had kind of adapted to what Pete DeBoer wanted out of his players last year. Like there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be, you know, getting used to what Bruce Cassidy's looking for from his team. And and on that point, I I did want to talk about it because you have a piece on the athletic where you kind of dig into five keys that Bruce Cassidy's looking for. And I'm not going to give everything away, but I did want to talk about pace because I think pace is going to be really interesting. Why is pace so important to Bruce Cassidy? Yeah, um, it, I, I agree. It's super interesting. Because, okay, so, so I'll go back to a, a piece I wrote before, which was I asked him, he, in his introductory press conference, he said his system is goaltender friendly. You know me. Yeah. I found that. That, that perked <laughs> my ears up. I'm like, oh, here we go. So I, I asked him to expand on that, and he said something very interesting. He said, we don't give up high-danger chances. We don't give up two-on-ones. We don't do this. We don't do that. It's like, okay, that's pretty obvious. How do you not do that? And he said, mm-hmm. we are not going to take risks through the neutral zone. We're going to make safe plays through the neutral zone. And to me, that says, okay, great. You're, you're going to have less turnovers. Golden Knights fans are probably loving hearing that because this mm-hmm. team, they would not give up a high-danger chance all game, and then they'd turn it over at the blue line, and it would be in the back of their net. Um, it's happened far too often over the last year. So Bruce Cassidy wants to minimize those mistakes. But when you play simple through the neutral zone, it's also going to stunt your offense a little bit. It's going to be harder for you to generate in transition. So I think the way he's trying to overcome that is, okay, we're not going to make complicated passes. We're not going to make fancy passes. We're going to make the simple play, but we're going to do it fast. Um, The hardest thing to do to defend in the NHL is speed. So if you're going to play simple, you have to play fast. So I think when he says pace, he says, look, we're we're defending for two reasons. We're defending to, to keep the puck out of our net, but then the moment we get the puck back, we're attacking. And he wants to see how fast this team can transition from defense to offense, bring the puck up the ice, because I think it's going to be such a big key under Cassidy because of the simplicity of their neutral zone play. They've got to do it fast, and you've got to be in good shape to do that. So conditioning is another uh, big key that he has for, for this camp that he's going to be looking for. He said these guys come in great shape, but he wants to get them in even better shape. Um, it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's very different from what we've seen. You know who jumps out immediately when you, when you talk about that? William Carlson. Yes, like, he does. Speed, motor, pace. I, I would make the argument that when you are allowed to to fly, and when you're when you're looking to simplify, but you're looking to play with the the type of pace that you need to kind of break things down in a simplified manner, William Carlson becomes the the front of mind player to me. Are you are you looking at Carlson as as a player that can benefit greatly from what Bruce Cassidy's talking about here? Yes, I think so. Um, and, I, and I think Carlson fits what Cassidy wants in a center. I mean, you look at his centers in Boston, they were all defense-first guys who can also pitch in offensively. That's William Carlson to a T. Um, I think yeah. his speed's going to help. But you know what? The Golden Knights, you look at their top three centers, Jack Eichel, William Carlson, Chandler Stevenson. What do they all three have in common? They can fly. So they, they yeah. have speed up the middle. Um, and even Nick Waugh, you put him as your fourth center. I mean, Nick Waugh, he's a big guy, but he moves really well up the ice. So I do think that they have the centers to play fast, to play simple. I think they're going to they're gonna fit it well. It's, the question is, they, they lost Max Pacioretty. They lost Evgeny Dodonov. 
will they have the wing talent to play with them? Um, to me, that's the biggest question for this team. That and goaltending, obviously, with Robin Leonard out for the year. But um, I think at center, they're looking pretty darn good from both a style standpoint and a talent standpoint. You know, you, you, you mentioned four guys there that were going to play center. My question to you is, are you confident that Chandler Stevenson is going to play the center position, or do you think maybe they put him out on one of the wings? Uh, wouldn't surprise me if they put him on a wing. Um, we saw, like, Jack Eichel didn't get the best chance to build chemistry with everyone last year. I mean, it was basically a new line every game because of all the injuries and, and everything. <laughs> Um, but I, I would say if you told me pick one player that he had the best chemistry with, I would probably say Chandler Stevenson. So it wouldn't surprise me. if. And the other thing is, if you're trying to maximize Stevenson offensively, I mean, he was one of the best offensive players on this team last year. If you're trying to maximize him, he's got to be in the top six because you're not going to get enough minutes down on the third line. So if they're trying to maximize him and they think he fits well with Eichel, it wouldn't surprise me maybe a top line of Stone, Stevenson, and Eichel. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't know. I think Stevenson's a great center. Um, I, to be honest, I think it comes down to what do they want to do with Nick Waugh. If they want Nick Waugh to be the fourth-line center um, between, I don't know, say, Carrier and Colasar, and you want to have that fourth-line solidified, then, then, then I think Stevenson's your third-line center. If they want to, and, and Cassidy actually mentioned this to me. He said, maybe we want to move Waugh up to try to continue his offensive production. Waugh has taken big steps offensively. If they want to move Waugh up and put like a Lecision or someone like that down on that fourth line, then that probably does bump Stevenson out to the wing. Um, and, and again, I don't think Stevenson's going to complain if he's bumped to the wing, if it means playing with Eichel and uh, <laughs> Stone. So they, they've got a lot of options. Um, they, they're probably, this is, we're probably not going to see the same lineup for the first two weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if Cassidy, I mean, and I'm talking first two weeks of the regular season, I wouldn't be surprised if Cassidy does some shuffling, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. Um, but it's going to be interesting. It's, it's going to be fun for us that cover the team. I think we're going to see a lot of different line combinations and maybe some guys that we didn't know could play so well together um, will be fits. Now, one guy you didn't mention there is Brett Howden. He's, he's a young guy. He's only 24. He's a former first-round pick. So what do you see his role being? Because I, I didn't hear you say his name, so I'm just curious what you see the, the team doing with him. Yeah, no, well, so I, I mentioned Lecision could be an, another option other than Waugh on that fourth-line center spot. I think Brett Howden is definitely another one. Um, but I also think when it, every time I talk to Kelly McCrimmon, it feels like he brings Brett Howden up, like unprompted. And to me, that means he, he views him as a player that's not getting talked about as much as maybe he thinks he should. Um, Brett Howden last year, he was hurt a lot, like everybody, but from a per-60 <laughs> standpoint, like just when he was on the ice, he's one of the most productive players on the entire team behind like Max Pacioretty and a couple guys. So maybe they see some more offensive upside. I think if you're, if you're saying, okay, let's, let's spread our offensive talent across three, four lines, I think Brett Howden's a guy who you could play up the lineup on a wing and try to maybe get more out of him than you would on the, in the bottom six. I don't know if he's necessarily good enough to drive offense for a line, but if you put him maybe next to, I don't know, William Carlson and Riley Smith, I think Brett Howden could absolutely score 15 goals. So um, it's going to be interesting. There's lots of options. I think Howden, if Howden can stay healthy, he's, he's a great option for this team um, that can play on pretty much any line. Okay, so we, we pretty much have the idea in our minds, I think everybody does, that Bruce Cassidy is going to split up the misfits. The question well, I have to it. you, Jesse, how, how are you going to do it? it, it not, not you as Bruce Cassidy, not you thinking about what Bruce might do. In an ideal world, how would you split the, that trio up? 
I, I'd like to see Marcia so Stone Eichel. Um, I, I wrote about this. I know a lot of us have pointed to that World Juniors win, or sorry, World Juniors, World Championships, when Mark Stone and, and Jonathan Marcheseau played together, they were phenomenal. They were like the top two scorers in the entire tournament. Um, who knows if that, if that transitions to the NHL? Obviously, the international game is very different. Obviously, Canada overwhelms teams with talent. So it's not always the best indicator of what's going to work in the NHL. But I would like to see Marcheseau play with Eichel and Stone. I think Eichel and Stone are both pass-first players, playmakers. Um, I think Pacioretty would have been a great option there because he likes to shoot, but now that Pacioretty's gone, I think John Marcheseau is the next closest thing this team has to just a pure shooter. He likes to volume shoot, put the puck in the back of the net. I think Marcheseau fits there. I would keep Carlson and Smith together. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put each one on a separate line. I think when he says splitting them up, he means they're not going to all three be together. I would keep Carlson and Smith together. Obviously, we've seen how they work, not just at even strength. But on the penalty kill, they just those two work together. I think you can put pretty much anyone on that line with those two, and it's going to work. So that's how I'd do it. You know, we we oftentimes talk a lot about the power play for the Golden Knights needing to be better, and and make no doubt it it does need to be better next season. Uh, but what about the penalty kill? Because for for the Golden Knights, like that was another aspect of of special teams that just was not up to the standard. So how do you envision the the Golden Knights improving their PK this season? Yeah, I mean, the the, the penalty kill took a step back last year. I'm not as concerned with it because we've seen it be good. Yeah. The, the players they have should be awesome penalty killers, right? Like Mark Stone is one of, if not the best defensive forwards in the NHL. William Carlson, Riley Smith, Chandler Stevenson, Nick Waugh, they've got all the forwards to kill penalties. Petrangelo, Theodore, Haig, or sorry, McNabb, Martinez, th- those guys should be able to have an, I think they're going to have a top 10 penalty kill, possibly top mm-hmm. five penalty kill. Um, I'm not as concerned about it. Also, and I mentioned Martinez, I mean, the guy is a shot-blocking machine. There's nowhere you need that more than on the penalty kill, and he was out for all of last season. So just yeah. putting him back in there, putting Mark Stone back in, to me makes that penalty kill really good. I'm not as, I'm, I don't think Cassidy's got as big of a task in front of him to get that penalty kill back up to being really good, whereas the power play, we haven't seen it. I mean, it's been three years. We have not seen this power play be good. So to me, that's the one I'm a, I have a lot more concern and, and I do think they can get there, but uh, it's one of those things where I need to see it before I can believe it. You know, the interesting thing about the power play is you've got two players that I think everyone is assuming will, will probably be on the top unit. And, you know, my argument is they, they essentially play the same position on, on the power play, and that's Phil Kessel and Jack Eichel. You want them on the half wall facilitating. So do you get the, I, do you get the sense that, that you'll see a loaded-up power play unit with Phil Kessel uh, joining the, the big guns for the Golden Knights, or do you think you split those guys up on, on two separate units? We might see a little bit of both. Um, I, I think my gut tells me they're going to load it up. Um, and, and I think that I kind of like it. I, obviously, it, it would help to have each guy kind of power play, quarterbacking each power play. Sure. But last year, did it not feel like the Golden Knights power play? Each guy had, the, like, this is what this guy does. So it's like, you're going to get it over to this side. Well, they're not even going to, sh- the goalie doesn't even have to worry about a shot coming from the right because he knows they're trying to work it over to Pacioretty on the left or a shot to the goalie's left. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For a shot. When Martinez was healthy, what were they trying to do? They were trying to set Martinez up for the one-timer from the right circle. It just felt so predictable. I think that if you put Eichel on the left half wall and Kessel on the right half wall, and Kessel, you, 
he has played mostly on the left, but I looked at his power play in Arizona, and he was on the right quite a bit. So he's comfortable over there. Um, he's not opened up for his one-timer with the right-handed shot, but he, he does play on that right half wall. So I think if you were to get Eichel and Kessel in opposing circles, suddenly the, the goalie is having a much harder time predicting what's going to happen because you've got two guys who like to shoot it and like to pass it in Kessel and Eichel. They're both comfortable with the puck in their stick. I don't know. I think that there's an added element of, of confusion when you have both those guys on the ice, whereas I think if you put one of them on each power play unit, it's going to be a little easier to diagnose what they're trying to set up. So um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. It's going to be interesting <laughs> to see which one works. I think we probably will see both um, together and separate at some point. But my gut tells me, especially like I was talking to Cassidy, like what are your, what's your vision for – for Phil Kessel. He wouldn't go into super detail, but the, the, the sense I'm getting is that Kessel is probably not going to be a top six guy. Um, I think there's a chance he could, but I think ideally they want him to be on the third line to give them some scoring depth, minimize his minutes at five on five, and really use him on the power play, almost as a specialist. They're going to tell Phil, look, you're not going to get the minutes you, you probably are used to at five on five, but we're going to make up for that by getting you on the power play. And to me, to do that, you've got to have him on the power play, the top power play unit. So, so that's kind of what leans me towards um, thinking that they're both going to be on that top unit. All right, Jesse, last one for me, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but uh, the goalie situation, they trade for Aiden Hill. It sounds like Loren Brossois might be a little bit closer than, than I think some of us, myself included, anticipated. And obviously you've got Logan Thompson, who I – We'll point out as waivers exempt. When Brossois is healthy, how do you see the goalie situation shaking out? Yeah, it, it, I, they they're making it sound like he's he's closer. I mean, we asked Cassidy; he said he's probably not going to be on the ice for the first day of camp, but he may be on the ice at some point. To me, if I was the Golden Knights, I would slow play Loren Brossois. Let him get to 100%, not only get to 100%, but then give him a couple weeks of, of practice to get him up to game speed. A goalie can't just be hurt and then come in and just throw him in a game. I mean, you've got to get used to your eyes tracking pucks properly. Uh, to me, I would let him take his time. And while that happens, see what happens on the ice. Let Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill both play. And hopefully you've got a couple, three, four games each of a sample size to go off of before you have to make that decision, because I agree, it's a tough decision. The easy decision is to send Logan Thompson down because he's waiver-exempt, but if he's your best goalie, he's got to stay in the NHL. You're not going to send him down if he's your best goalie just because he's waiver-exempt. That would be ridiculous. So before you waive one of Hill or Bersois, to me, you've got to see what you've got in Thompson and Hill. So if it was me, I would tell Bersois, look, we know you're getting close. We want to make sure you're, you're 100% ready to go to, to show your best stuff. We're going to get you up to speed. In the meantime, we're going to let Hill and Thompson play. And then when Brassois is finally ready, that's when you make the decision, has Logan Thompson clearly been the best goalie? If that's the case, you're going to have to waive one of them. If not, he goes uh, to the Silver Knights. He's waiver exempt. You don't have to worry about losing anybody. Jesse Granger with The Athletic joining us here to talk VGK. Now we're going to open it up to – the rest of the NHL. Big news day today in the NHL. Um, I'm not going to get your your commentary on retirement, though. I do want to ask you uh, two questions. Uh, what is the best jersey advertisement, and why is it milk? <laughs> 
I, I, it's so on brand. It's so on brand. Like, like whenever, like I know us Americans. If there's any Canadians listening, they'll probably hate us. But it's like when I think of Canada, I think of milk in bags. Like that's one of the things I think of. So when I see uh, milk on a jersey, I'm like, wow, that's very Canadian. And then meanwhile, yeah. the Golden Knights have a uh, casino sports book um, <laughs> on their yeah, jersey. Yeah. It's very, very, very on brand. Um, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I think the Circa patch looks good. I think the milk one looks good too. To me, to me, the best jersey patches are the ones that match the team colors on the jersey. If you've got a mm-hmm. patch and the, the the sponsor doesn't want to to match the colors of the jersey, that's the worst one. That like those are the worst, and the best are the ones that matches. But the little, the, I guess, the least that that logo stands out, the better. Yeah, I mean, listen, like we're gonna we're gonna get in, right? We're gonna be watching the games. We're not gonna be able to pick out the the jersey patches. Like no. the circle one on the gold jersey is as good as you're going to find for a seamless design that is not going to divert your eyes from what is really happening on the ice. So, um, yeah, I, I just I find it so ironic that the Toronto Maple Leafs have uh, their sponsorship by Milk. Uh, okay, Nathan McKinnon. Eight years, twelve point six million dollars AAV. Um, do you have a hot take? I was on with Tyler this morning, and he's like, "Ah, what's your Nathan McKinnon contract hot take?" I gave him one. Do you have a hot take on this contract for Nathan McKinnon? Yeah, he's way underpaid. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't know if that was your hot take also, but yeah, like like right now, in the context of right now, at this very moment mm-hmm. that he's signing it, he's not underpaid. He's the highest paid player in the league. He deserves that. Um, basically, that's how sports work. The, the next top star that comes available, he's now the highest paid player. That was McKinnon. Matthews will, will pass him with his next contract. But we've been hearing about, I mean, obviously we've been dealing with the flat cap. Contracts have been hard to come by. But we've been starting to hear whispers that this, con- that this cap is going to go way up in the next three, four, five years. And when it does, you're going to start seeing players make $15 million, possibly higher. And at that point, once again, just like his last contract, the Avalanche are going to have Nathan McKinnon for way under market value. So I think with it being eight years, I guarantee halfway through this contract, we're going to be looking at it and saying, wait, Nathan McKinnon makes how much? Only $12 million? Wow. <laughs> so, yes, he's the highest paid player, but I think in a few years, it's going to look like a value deal. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, is it is it weird to you that you know part of the reason Nathan McKinnon was underpaid so much on his last contract is because he went longer term on a contract off of his entry level? Is it strange to you that you know the likes of of Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, uh, they're going max term off their entry level deal when really if they were wanting to maximize the amount of money they can pull, they would be going shorter term in bridge. Oh, 100%. I mean, if McKinnon wanted to make the most money he could possibly make, he'd, he'd take a two-year deal. Uh, take the next two years with the flat, flat cap and wait for that TV money to come in with all the ESPN rights and everything and, and negotiate a new deal under those circumstances and get paid way more. I think these hockey players don't necessarily think that way. I think they, like McKinnon said it today, I want to retire her. I want to live in Colorado. I want to be part of this team. And I really do believe that. If he was trying to maximize his money... He would take smaller deals, but I think to him it's a priority to to have that stable eight-year contract. This is where I'm going to be. I'm not going anywhere. I know where I'm going to live. I know where my kids are going to go to school. I know all that. Um, I do think that they, they place higher value on that than maybe maximizing the, the dollar amount that they're getting per year. 
Great stuff, as always, from Jesse Granger. Hey, Jesse, what are you working on this week, and where can people find your stuff? Yeah, uh, it's going to be fun, man. Training camp on ice stuff. It's used the last couple years because they haven't really had a coaching change. You've been under Pete DeBoer. You know what the systems are. We've been so focused on the line combinations and the the the, the roster battles. And while we're going to have that, obviously in net, you know, I'm pumped about the goalie battle in net. The fact that everybody's going to be focused on the goalies, I'm going to be all over that. But also, I'm excited to write some system stuff. We're going to be able to see what Bruce Cassidy's system looks like on the ice for these couple preseason games, and we're going to be able to see what they're working on in practice. So lots of stories coming up on The Athletic on those things. All right, great stuff as always. Give him a follow online at Jesse Granger underscore and do follow him and, and do do consume his work because it's fantastic stuff. Have a great night, Jesse. I'll see you on Thursday out at the rink. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. Can't wait. Thanks for having me, Ryan. That is Jesse Granger with The Athletic taking a lot of time out of his day to join us here. When we come back, we've got one-timers on the VGK and. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores. It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insiders Show. One-timers. News and notes from around the NHL. It's all going to center today on retirement. As early this morning, there was a flood of news about some high-profile defensemen retiring from the game. So let's take some time to spend a little bit going through their career. We're going to start with Keith Yandel. Keith Yandel retired today from the NHL after a 16-year career and setting the current Ironman streak of 989 consecutive games played. So, listen... When it comes to the other two guys that retired today, Keith Yandel's not going to grab all the headlines. But you play almost a thousand games consecutively in this league, and you can argue with whether or not that streak should have ended earlier for Keith Yandel because of healthy scratch, whatever. Um, that is not an easy thing to do. Like, especially in the context of what happened last year with the Golden Knights and the injuries, it is a skill to be able to be in the lineup night in and night out. It is a skill to play this game without coming up injured. Keith Yandel did that, and he was a very productive, offensively gifted defenseman. Um, 16-year career, Ironman streak, it's not going to last, I think, for that much longer. Phil Kessel is, is breathing down Keith Yandel's um, record at the moment, but I'll tell you this, you give me 989 games consecutively, I tip my cap to you all day long. Yeah, and as a defenseman as well, I mean, it's a grueling yeah. position in a grueling sport. Uh, you know what's amazing about that record, and I, I'm, I, I will preface it by saying we possibly will see that, that record being broken this year, but Yandel's, Yandel broke, what, a 30-plus year old record? Mm-hmm as far as the Ironman streak goes, and we can now see that record broken in less than a year. I mean, that's pretty incredible, and, it, and it's a testament to, to just how hard it is to not miss games in the NHL. I mean, it seems like every player misses games year in and year out. It doesn't matter what team you root for. It seems like good players miss games, and, and for a guy to play that long, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. 
Yep. On to the next one. P.K. Subban, after 13 years in the NHL, a Norris Trophy in 2012-13, and a three-time All-Star, has called it a career. Um, So, like, with P.K. Subban, I'll say this. Never won Stanley Cup, got close with Nashville uh, when they they made it to the Cup Final, lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins. P.K. Subban could transcend hockey. And, And, like, listen... Maybe not the most popular player at, at at all times throughout his career. There have been some some things that you know on the ice. They, they, there's been some antics, but with PK Subban, to me, it's the reach and the pull that he has, not just on the ice as a player, but in in the community, in the media. If there was a player that was custom built to transition into a television media role immediately after playing and absolutely own it, it's P.K. Subban. Yeah, he's got star quality. I I think that's what kind of really stands out to me about P.K. I mean, he is a character on the ice. If you see the way he dresses when he leaves the locker room, unbelievable, fantastic style. Like, I wish I, I had the money to be able to buy some of the suits and the hats that, that I've seen him wear because I would totally do it. But yeah. he's got he, – he he transcends hockey. You know, of course, he had he had the, the relationship with Lindsey Vaughn, right, a, 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 an Olympic champion skier. So he's a guy who kind of transcended the sport. And I think he's a guy who, who could cross over, not only yeah. just being a hockey analyst, but – a guy who does other things in television, maybe maybe not to the point that a guy like Michael Strahan has, but I could see PK on ESPN doing doing shows with with Stephen A. Smith or or other prominent uh, personalities that ESPN has because PK is just he's that good of a personality that I think if you're ESPN or Turner, you want to you want to utilize that guy and 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 really really give him a stage to shine on. I mean. I, He's one of my favorite personalities in the game. Yeah. He had a great career. I'm I'm sad to see him go. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think we we haven't seen the best of PK yet because I think I think he's he's a star in the making on TV. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. Again, a, a character on the ice, a a gem in the community, and I think he, he's just getting started because he's going to absolutely explode on the media scene when he decides that's what he wants to do. Uh, Last one, trio of retirements, trio of defensemen calling it quits today. Zidane Ochara, after 24 years in the NHL, a Stanley Cup, the Norris Trophy in 2008-2009. He won the Messier Leadership Award in 2010-2011. He was captain of the Boston Bruins for 14 years. This, This is a player that was just in a league of his own. The size, the strength, the ability that he had to, to use all of his physical attributes to the, to the highest quality. Uh, the most terrifying man on the ice for every season he played. The most terrifying physical specimen on the ice every year that he played. He, he's an absolute force. Um, I'm sad to see this day. I loved watching Zidane Ochara play hockey. Um, I love the fact that he was able to find a way to to get that Bruins team over the hump against the most unlikable team in the history of sports, the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I, there's there's really not much else you can say. Just an absolute 
class individual, um, and and the game is is a is is gonna miss Zdeno Chara. Yeah, I'm gonna miss him because he was the only guy in the NHL who was older than me. Now uh, <laughs> there, there, there's a couple of guys who who are within a few weeks of me, but uh, striking distance. Yeah, yeah, but now now I'm older than every single player in the NHL, and it disappoints me. I was hoping he was gonna play forever, but. Uh, you know, good career for for Big Z, and and man, I, you don't meet a lot of people in this business who just intimidate you, and whether it was on purpose or not. But he's a dominating presence. Like when you when you see him in the locker room, or or, or you cross paths with him, he is a a big big guy. I mean, I I would say outside of Mike Tyson, there haven't been too many guys I, I've just kind of like whimpered and, and cowered from when, when, when I met them. But Zeno Chara, a guy who, who was just a, a dominant presence in the locker room for, for the Boston Bruins for a very, very long time, and, and I would say he's definitely a Hall of Famer. Yeah, 100%. Zdeno Chara, to me, is a Hall of Famer, and you're right. Intimidation. Um, I, I shook his hand once, and it, my, my fingers are still broken from it. So uh, congratulations to Zdeno Chara, P.K. Subban, and Keith Yandel on their collective careers. Those are your one-timers for today, Tuesday, September 20th. We're back to wrap up the show. When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. All right, Ryan, I know you are a big television guy. You love to watch series. Well, I finished... Cobra Kai season five last night we watched mm. my wife and I we watched uh, all ten episodes in about four or five days uh, we did about two episodes a night but uh, I saw it getting a lot of flack on on, on social media I'm gonna say look as, as a nostalgia guy I enjoyed it and if you haven't seen it you know for me it, it brought me back again like every season has it just keeps bringing you back but I saw today that Disney announced that they are going to remake the never-ending story, which is going to be released in 2024, that was a a pretty big movie from my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't know if it if it you know caught on with kids who were born in the 90s or so, but uh, certainly one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. So I'm I'm kind of excited to see the never-ending story coming back as well. I I don't know the never-ending story. I, I know of the never-ending story, but it, it never caught on for me growing up or anything like that. Um, what? Give me, give me, a, give me, a, give me the sales pitch on Cobra Kai because I haven't watched. It. I do like the Karate Kid movies. Tell me why I need to make Cobra Kai a thing. Well, have you watched any of, of the previous seasons, or, or you're going in no, fresh? No, no, no. I, I haven't watched any of it at all. Well, if you were a fan of the series, it it, it really brings you back because it, it it brings back so many of the characters from the original movies. And when you get into season five, they bring back more characters who were in the original series or in the original movies, but Elizabeth Shue was in one of the earlier seasons. Uh, he goes back to Japan. He reintroduces himself to Chosen, who he fights in, in, in Karate Kid 2. So it's it's a trip down memory lane for sure. Trip down memory lane. That's Cobra Kai. We got training camp starting tomorrow. Join us on the VGK Insider Show. Dallas.